Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. My special guest today is Ben Ryder. Uh, he's the uh, guy from Sports Illustrated that wrote the uh, story predicting the Astros' 2017 World Series. He's also the author of Astro Ball, A New Way to Win It All. And his new project is a six-part documentary podcast series uh, titled The Edge. Uh, ben, I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Okay, so I brought you on to talk about The Edge because uh, the the idea for the podcast is very interesting. And uh, so let's go back to 2014. You were granted access to, I guess, the inner workings of the Astros front office. Uh, how did it end up being the Astros that you worked with? Well, I was attracted to the story by just how bad they were, as you'll remember, Rob, right? This was not just a normal bad team. This was the worst baseball team in half a century. So I started getting curious about why they were so bad, if there was any plan to get better. Um, and I knew that they were run by guys who had really good reputations, especially Jeff Luno, who done a great job running the Cardinals drafts, among other things. Um, but I knew we weren't going to do the story. I knew that my editors weren't going to let me do a story on a topic like that without some unusual angle or unusual access to it. So I started asking, you know, can you let me sit in? Can you let me embed with the organization? Can I be a fly on the wall for maybe draft prep meetings? You know, really see how you guys operate. And it took a while, but eventually they said yes. And I found myself sitting in what was a really rare position for any journalist then or now, uh, just sitting in these meetings, seeing how they were operating, talking to all sorts of people who were trying to put this project together. And I came con away convinced that not only did they have a plan to get better, it was one I thought was really innovative and really logical and one that I thought would work. So the story came out end of June of 2014 predicting that they'd win the 2017 World Series. And then fast forward three and a half, uh, fast forward three and a half years, and of course they did. So you mentioned some comments about Jeff Luno in your podcast. Uh, what was your impression of him? I thought he was a straight shooter, you know. Um, I thought he was a really intelligent guy. No one's ever questioned his intelligence. Uh I thought he was a really innovative thinker, and I thought he was unafraid to overturn baseball tradition, to overturn baseball orthodoxy, and even to be very upfront about it. You know, 
he was an iconoclast in that way. And those qualities led to a lot of successes. But one of the questions is, did some of those qualities rub a lot of people in the game the wrong way? Because he was so committed to change, so committed to not kind of doing what had always be done, been done. Um, and the answer is that, yes, it did. He was recently interviewed on a local Houston network, and he claimed that he had no knowledge of the cheating scandal. Do you believe this? So I'm going to be annoying for, for a moment, Rob. Go ahead. <laughs> We've got a couple episodes to go in this series, um, and we're going to dive very deep into that question. Uh so I'm not going to answer what I think now. Uh, I will say that I, of course, saw the interview, um, and he didn't say anything in that interview that I can remember that immediately raised alarm bells or raised red flags for me as being untruthful. Uh, as everybody saw, he obviously has a vested interest in defending himself and in presenting his case in a way that he hasn't really done. And in a way, I will say he expands upon significantly in my podcast. Uh, but that is a, that's a topic that you'll be hearing if you tune in uh, to the next few weeks. That is a very good answer. I mean, it, <laughs> the, the, I want you to come on to talk about your podcast. And if there's something you can't say that will make people want to listen even more to the next two episodes, then that's great. I'm fine with I'm fine with you not answering things because I know the story's not done. <laughs> I want to be clear. Like I I know it sounds annoying. Right? No, it's not. It's I not. hate not, I hate not answering straight on certain things. Uh, I fully appreciate that, and I know you also appreciate. You know, well, I don't want to give away spoilers, but I'm gonna try to answer those questions as best as I can. All right, I, I appreciate that. All right, so do you agree with Jim Crane firing Hinch and Luno? <laughs> Again, we get in that that's where this is leading up, right? Like if if you look at the series so far, it's not exactly chronological, it's more thematic, mm -hmm. but we are kind of moving through time. Um and where we've left off in the episode that dropped today actually, episode 4 is uh the end of the season, right? The end of the the end of the 2019 season, right? So logically, we're going to get into the athletic story and everything that came after that very soon, dot, dot, dot. Uh, but I will also say, generally, this project's not about my opinion, you know? And I do say what I think about certain things, to be fair, because I am part of the story in a mm -hmm. way. I made myself part of the story starting in 2014 and then writing a book about this thing and then telling it again here because I felt such a deep personal responsibility to dive back in to explain all this stuff and to investigate it further. But I don't generally try to make judgments about things. You know, I just want to present the truth of what happened, the down the middle truth. A lot of people say that I'm an Astros fan. I'm not an Astros fan. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a Yankees fan. Right. Right. It's going to sound cheesy, but I'm a fan of the truth. Wait, that does sound cheesy, but it's true. I want the truth. I want it to down the middle telling of the truth. Uh, and that's every word I wrote for this podcast, every interview I did, every line I recorded, that was my top concern. So the Astro fans, like myself, 
we want the truth also. I know we're not going to get all of the truth for a while, but someday maybe we'll get it. So I'm going to skip the next question because I think it's already been answered. Okay. <laughs> but now let's go to the Sports Illustrated cover story. So just a little backstory. I did read your book. And I actually had it as a giveaway on the podcast, and some people were passing it around, you know, like – so a lot of people that I know have read it. So I remember there being a story about it being on the cover, but I can't remember totally, but wasn't there something that was supposed to be on there? <laughs> and then – it you know your story just ended up on the cover and it wasn't really intended to be you're right well nobody would have expected including me including the astros that the worst baseball team in half a century would be on the cover of sports illustrated right rob it doesn't make sense we put champions on there we put superstars on there we don't put a team that lost 106 107 111 games three years in a row on there so that was never the plan that was not the plan when i went down to houston to write the story um, but it was a combination of factors that got it there. One is that we felt, my editor felt, that this story was came out really well. You know, it really was about something new, uh, something fresh. It did have insight into a modern baseball organization that we hadn't heard before. But there are other factors, right? More luck, more luck-based factors. In that both the NHL and the NBA Finals um, ended early, right? Typically, one of them would have ended up on the cover that week, but they were already over. And then uh, I think it was the World Cup was going on, and the U.S. soccer team almost pulled off a big win. But then in the last moment, like the 91st minute, you know, extra time, uh, it was the game was tied up. So it was a tie. So they're not going to put a, a tie on the cover. And then the funny one was Michelle Wee had finally won the U.S. Open that year. You know, someone who'd been a phenom for so many years and never come through on her promise. She finally did. And the author of that story about her, Alan Shipnuck, my colleague, was sure that this would be the cover, especially given all these other factors. So when he went to his mailbox that week and reached his hand in and pulled out the cover, uh, he actually tweeted. He said, what did I see instead of, you know, this great champion? I saw the gaudy uniforms of the crappiest <laughs> team in baseball. And he tweeted this. And it's not it's not so typical that a writer will tweet something like that, especially at, you know, the editor-in-chief of his magazine. He was half joking, but he was half genuinely pissed. But that's how the cover came to be. It was never supposed to happen, um, but kind of a domino effect from there, especially for me personally in a lot of ways. How did you feel about it being on the cover? Was was that your first cover story? Uh, it was not my first cover story. Uh, I don't know. I think I've written about 27 at this point. I don't know where that was. It was – I'm not sure exactly. But I'll tell you, it was definitely the sto cover story that got the most immediate attention, oh, yeah. right? Like most of it not positive. <laughs> most people thought – well – a lot of people thought we were totally full of it, right? A lot of people thought cynically that we were just trying to throw a hot take out there, you know, stir the pot with a ridiculous claim. And I understood that. They were really, really bad. They were like the laughing stock of sports, as anybody in Houston remembers. But the reason it ended up on the cover was two, were two. Like, yes, any magazine cover is designed to spark conversation. But more important than that is that we believed in it, you know? 
did we 100% know the Astros would win the World Series in 2017? Certainly not. But after all the reporting I'd done, the 5,000 words I'd written about it, um, everybody I'd talked to, we believed that this was a team that was onto something and would be very good by 2017. So that's really where that cover came from. Did you feel connected with the team afterwards? Did you care if they won it? Did you care if your prediction came true? I knew that this would follow me forever, immediately, from, you know, starting with all that initial blowback, heading into the next season when all of a sudden, hey, this team's pretty good all of a sudden, right? 2015. And I'm like, huh, maybe there's something to that. I knew this thing would follow me all the way through at least 2017. You know, if I'm honest, I obviously thought it would be cool if it actually happened, but it's not like I was sitting there like sweating it out every game. Like one thing you learn as a journalist or somebody who covers sports for a long time is you have absolutely no impact on anything that these subjects do, right? You can't control how they play. You can't control any moves they make, nothing. So all I could do, including in Dodger Stadium in game seven in 2017, was just sit back and watch what happened and cover it when it did. Let's talk about the podcast now, The Edge. Uh, first, I've been listening to it, and it's really good. I told you that before we started recording, and it's really well done. It has great reviews, and I can tell you from one podcaster to another, you know, I'm pretty jealous of how well it's done. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. So first question is, what made you decide to do the podcast? Well, as I said, when the story broke, I immediately was like, well, I immediately felt a deep sense of responsibility to go back to this story that I thought I'd written my last word about. I wasn't expecting to cover the Astros ever again, you know, um, but I felt a journalistic responsibility, a personal responsibility to go back to figure out what I'd missed, why I'd missed it, and to get to the bottom of this scandal. So the question is, how are you going to do it? A lot of people on Twitter you know, the ones who weren't saying really nasty things were saying, you need to write an epilogue to Astro Ball. You need to write a sequel to Astro Ball. Um, I kind of held off on doing anything for a while. I started gathering material. I started going back through my old material uh, to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I happened to meet this guy named Leon Nafok, right, who's a podcaster, a narrative documentary podcaster, and we had breakfast, and I learned that Leon knows very little about sports, right? Like, a little bit, but, you know, when we're making this project, I often have to correct him when he says certain baseball terminology, things like that. Mm -hmm. But what Leon knows a heck of a lot about is scandal, right? Because he was the one who was the first host of the series Slow Burn, which dug into the Watergate scandal and then the Clinton impeachment scandal, um, he has a new show now with his producing partner, Andrew Parsons, which they they dive into uh, Bush v. Gore. They dive into Iran-Contra. They dive into the Boston busing, uh, school busing. So they really know, first of all, how to make really quality podcasts. And second of all, how to dig into the heart of these scandals to find out who did what, what they mean. And it was pretty clear, pretty fast that we could combine forces and do something uh, that we hoped would be special and revealing about this scandal, which when you think about it, shares a lot of DNA with Watergate in particular. Uh, 
as far as how corruption takes root in an organization, and also as far as what drives a person or an organization who's kind of dominant already, right? Like Nixon was going to win that election anyway. He did not need to oversee or have his people pull off Watergate, right? The Astros were a really, really talented team in 2017 already. They did not need to do this, but they did it. So a lot of those motivations are, as you've heard so far, and we'll continue to hear what we explore in the podcast. So what was the purpose of the podcast? I think I had read something that you wanted to get down and find the truth or something. <laughs> yes, Rob, I did want the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I can't think of the words, but I, I saw it written. I'm going to try to get get to the truth or something, find the truth and get to the bottom of it, I'd say. You know? There it yeah. is. That's look, it. I want to get to the bottom of it. That's what I felt said. like. And, I, you know, look, I've been working on this thing every day, full time since February. You know, every day I've spent thinking about this, doing interviews, writing about this, doing research. And I know and everybody knows that as well covered as it's been, there's a lot that we don't know, or at least we didn't know. There's a lot that we don't understand about what happened, in part because there are very powerful forces that are trying to prevent a knowing or understanding of those things. And it's my job as the maker of this podcast, as a journalist, to shine sunlight into those areas of darkness. That's what motivated me each and every day that I've been working on this and continues to as I continue to work on it. So my next question was how long did it take you, but you answered that by saying February. Uh, sometimes I think you're going to answer something, and I'll try to combine the questions together. Uh, but you do have an episode, and I don't have them numbered, uh, where you talk about uh, cheating in the past and the history. Uh, but first, I, w I was going to ask you, okay, you, you had the story. You're known for the story, predicting the World Series. You wrote Astro Ball. You're sort of linked uh, to the Astros. How did you first feel the first time when you heard that, you know, that they cheated? I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks, especially the details. When I, I remember sitting down and reading that athletic story uh, at home, and I just couldn't believe it, you know? Like, the details, it seemed so silly almost, right? Yes. And, and almost impossible to believe that it had gone on for so long, and it stayed a secret for so long. Two years, and nobody, no, it hadn't come out. It seemed crazy. But then I immediately felt two things, right? Um, one, the sense of responsibility to dive back into it, knowing that, you know, in some ways I had to be the one, at least I felt a personal motivation to be the one to do, to do this. Uh, and two, kind of an understanding that, or a feeling that, you know, a lot of what Astro Ball is based on, a lot of what the story of the Astros is based on, was their commitment to finding an edge, finding a competitive advantage in every single thing that they did. So did that philosophy extend to the, as you say, age-old tradition of sign stealing, to push it further than anybody ever had before? That was one of the animating questions uh, that I investigated here. So the big thing about the Astros in, uh, in the news, on Twitter, everywhere, is that they went above where everybody else has been. You know, people still signs with a guy on second base, and they're the first ones, you know, to go that – to take it to that level. 
And it's just not true. And you talk about that in one of your episodes when you talk about the shot heard around the world and then the one with the Morse codes. Can you tell us a little bit about those two stories? <laughs> sure. I mean, as I dug into the history of sign stealing and sign stealing kind of flare ups, I was surprised to see how many things had happened, many of them involving very notable people, Hall of Famers, that were essentially the same as what the Astros did, right? This was not the first time something like this had ever happened in the history of baseball. Um, you know, the ones you're referring to was the shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson's famous home run off of Ralph Branca. The Giants had set up a buzzer system where somebody with binoculars could buzz down to the bullpen to tip them off to what the pitch was, and then the people in the bullpen would signal the guys at the plate, right? Yeah, they're using binoculars instead of a video screen, but it's essentially the same thing. And there's a strong belief that Bobby Thompson, when he hit that game-running home run, was knew what pitch was coming. And the buzzer one you talk about is uh, the Phillies in 1900 were discovered to have a buried buzzer next to third base that the third base coach would stand on, and it was linked up to a buzzer system that a guy behind the outfield fence would send Morse code into the foot of the guy of the third base coach. So he could then tell the batter what was coming again, binoculars and a buzzer instead of a TV screen and a trash can, but the same thing at the same time, this is not, I want to be clear up. This is not to absolve the Astros of what they did. Right. First of all, a big difference is that it wasn't against the rules back then. It was explicitly against the rules by the time the Astros did it. That's a big thing. Um, even though the enforcement of those rules was largely a matter of kind of ethics as opposed to punishment coming down from the league, because no one had ever been punished before for stealing signs before this. I mean, the Red Sox were punished in 2017, but that was more a team punishment, like no individual had ever been punished in the history of the game until this. It's not to let the Astros off the hook, right? It's to understand this tradition in baseball and how it might have played into what they did um, and how maybe in some ways they went further than anyone ever has. So my next two questions, I think you might have answered them. So I'm going to go down one more. Uh, you took everyone back in time to the beginning of the Astros and the Astrodome. And as a fan, I really enjoyed it. Uh, what was your reason behind giving everyone this history lesson about the Astros? <laughs> two reasons. The first, because I just think it's great. <laughs> right? I mean, it's fantastic stuff. Uh, the founding of the Astrodome by Judge Roy Hoffines, uh, you know, the lights, the colors, the engineering, the showmanship. Um, I first learned about that stuff when I was writing my book. And I just thought, you know, this stuff is so wonderful. I need to tell this story. But it's thematically important, too, because it sets up Houston in particular as this hub of innovation of visionary thinking, right? From its inception, the judge was a visionary. The Astrodome was the first dome stadium in the history of the world. AstroTurf is called AstroTurf because it was first used in the Astrodome, right? He was one of these agents of change that come around in baseball and ruffle a lot of people's feathers, but move things forward. So I think it establishes that tradition. Of course, the one thing that the judge and nobody else who ran the Astros could do until Jeff Luno came aboard was win a World Series. Um, so that was really Jeff Luno's task to be the innovator, to be another innovator, but to be the innovator who actually won. So diving into the episode four that came out today, 
And I already told you, I listened to it. It was really, really good. Uh, you covered the Osuna trade, which I consider on my podcast, I try to tell the truth. And I don't care, you know, if people don't like what I say, I'm going to be truthful. And I always consider the Osuna trade the first black eye on the Astros. And then you had the Taubman story where I consider that the second one. And then the sign stealing was the third one, although it was the first one. But, you know, as far as finding out. So going to the Osuna trade, people were upset. And my opinion was that people do deserve second chances. We don't know the whole story. And I figured if he once he saved 30 games for us, people wouldn't care. And it seems like these are notes now. Uh, the female reporter wanted to name, wanted to remain anonymous, but I think most Astro fans know who it is because she would tweet about uh, domestic abuse. So I don't know why she's You know why she doesn't want anyone to know who it is? You know, I know that she has continued to request anonymity, and I'm respecting that. Um, I don't, you know. I, I think that she was in a target here. You know, she didn't do anything to deserve this attention. So uh, I think that's why. So, like, the the Astros picked up Osuna and got a lot of slack. And then you talked about uh, Chapman was the same story, domestic abuse, but it involved a gun. And then somehow... I guess whenever they bring up Osuna, they kind of don't really talk about Chapman anymore. And that's kind of what I was going with. Like, once you're successful, the team and the fans will accept you. And so going with the Taubman story, I know that the Astros handle that completely wrong. And what I found very interesting in your story is that Taubman was the guy verbally assaulting and i'm going to use those words the three female reporters and he was actually like he was defending roberto osuna but he was actually against trading for him i just found that very interesting yeah i found it interesting too (laughs) to learn all that and i think you've summed up a lot of the complications in the episode pretty well there rob (laughs) it was it was it was really fascinating to me to learn that Brandon Taubman was one of many front office employees who said, you know, we shouldn't do this. Um, some of them were more forceful with it than, than he was in my understanding, but he did make his feelings known. Right. And then to see, was it 15 months later, I think to see his defense of Roberto Asuna become a story that threatened to overshadow the world series, at least early on, was a fascinating dynamic. And that's a big one that I explore in episode four, as you've heard, and try to answer the question of why this happened. And the second part of that that's funny is that, you know, he was screaming or yelling or whatever you want to call it. Thank God we got Osuna, you know, whatever he said. And Osuna, we were up two runs and Osuna blew it. So I don't even understand why he's defending the guy in the first place, at least that night. I mean, I guess maybe for some reason the tweets angered him, and I know you said something about he may have been drinking 
But I just find it real silly that this guy had a, a bright future and he just blew it for a guy that he didn't even want. So I find I find that very interesting in the last episode. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it was certainly fascinating to me as well. Uh, my understanding, as I kind of dive into in a deeper way in the episode, is that it shows what kind of extremely pressurized competitive atmospheres can do to people sometimes, right? It can kind of make people act in ways that contradict even uh, their sense of morality. Um, I want people to listen to it because there's a lot more to it than that. But that was a baseline uh, for it, and I, I think you're right that, that that's a big question as to why did somebody who was against this from a moral perspective end up going down because he defended it? The Astros in 2019, they were very, very paranoid about people stealing their signs. And it kind of goes along with, you know, someone that might be cheating on their spouse. You know, they start becoming paranoid that they're that they're doing it. I just found it very interesting how paranoid the Astros were in 2019. It was actually 2018. Um, I probably could have said the, the date more. It was the same year that they traded for Asuna. So this episode is largely centered in 2018. But you're right. I mean, as I said, they started running vigilante missions. The staff did, based off on tips from the players and the coaches in opposing stadiums to try to catch other teams stealing their signs, which seems incredibly ironic now because of what they've been doing in 2017 and into 2018. But it also makes sense, you know, like there's a reason that the players and staff were so paranoid. Um, and that's because they knew very well what teams were capable of doing. Looking back at Hinch's statements, when they were uh, asking him about Whistlegate, I got that from the podcast. How do you think that makes him look now, you know, as being the manager in the future for another team, that he just laughed it off like like it was silly to think that they could be doing anything like that? Again, not to give too much away, I think what A.J. Hinch would say is, we weren't actually stealing signs in 2019, right? That's what the commissioner report found. Uh, there was no whistling to transmit signs. So that's how he would explain his anger to that blow up in the 2019 playoffs. Is it fair to say, well, you know what? The fact that other teams thought you were up to no good uh, isn't coming out of nowhere. Yeah, that's fair too. So with the cheating scandals going on in other you know, back in history, I, I've heard even more stories than the ones you mentioned. Why, why do you think the Astros are being crucified so much? Is it because they're just not very well liked in the community or they're upstarts? Or, I mean, we're getting a lot of hate, and I don't, just don't understand why people are so upset about it. <laughs> Again. Again, keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking good questions, man. I'm, I'm, I, I hate, as a reporter particularly, I hate not fully answer questions because I hate when people don't answer questions I have. Um, but I hope you understand that they will be answered, just not right now. Uh, but yeah, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were doing it. It was against the rules. There was a whistleblower who publicized this in an athletic story that was irrefutable that they had done it. Um, and there's also this fact that they had kind of turned themselves into 
outliers already and really successful ones, and that played into it too. Okay, so without giving anything away... Just what? Ask, ask the questions and then leave it to me to uh, <laughs> leave, leave it to me to evade parts of them if I if I feel I have to. Okay, without giving anything away, I'm gonna have to keep saying that anyway. <laughs> what do people have to look forward to in episode five and six? Because this thing is amazing. I mean, you're doing a great job, and there's some Astro fans that you know they don't like to hear negative things about their team. Some people don't want to hear the truth, but I love the truth, and it's not gonna change the fact that the Astros are my favorite team. Because it's not like I can just give up on them and just choose another team and then just all of a sudden love them. So I'm looking forward to the next two episodes. There is only two more left, right? Yes. And so if anything you can share, what what is there? What what, what is the uh, topics or anything or if sure, you share sure. anything to to get them <laughs> pumped up? We all right, get man. These guys pumped up. For well, five and six. <laughs> I want to try to tease it in a not annoying way. You know where we are now chronologically, right? We're we're about the town. The World Series has just ended. The Astros have just lost the World Series to the Nationals, and that puts us two weeks away from the scandal actually breaking, right? In early November of 2019. So we're going to dive into the scandal, how it broke, why it broke the way it did, things you don't know that were going on behind the scenes in the scandal. Um, and then we're going to move forward into the uh, penalty phase and why those things happened. One thing I will say about what's and well, and then we'll cut, we'll start drawing conclusions about the whole thing and putting the whole story together. In some ways, Rob, this is almost like a true crime story, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a mystery story. Like we know generally how it ends, but you know, you don't know specifically. You know, you don't know all of the different factors that contributed to it. Um, and that's what we're going to reveal as the series goes on. I will say that you've heard some from Jeff Luno. Like, you know that Jeff Luno's talked for this podcast. Um, we're going to hear a lot more from Jeff Luno, including a lot of things that were surprising to me uh, as the series goes on. All right. Well, that's all I have. If you want to come back after the next two episodes are out, I'd love to have you come back and we can talk about them. If not, that's fine. I do appreciate the time you gave me today, though. Yeah, I'd love to, man. Uh, let's let's do it. Uh, let's finish the series, and that way I can just answer every single one of your questions straight and not have to, uh, you know, tease certain things. Um, look forward to that as well. But thanks a lot for listening, Robin. Thanks for your uh, enthusiasm for this thing. As I said, I, I've put my life into this thing this year and even for years before this, uh, so I really appreciate the feedback and having me on. All right, guys. Look out for The Edge on Every podcast platform, I'm pretty sure, uh, seems like new episodes come out every Wednesday. There's two more episodes left. They're, what, 40 minutes or close to an hour, I guess. But easy listening, folks. If you listen to it, you, you won't be able to stop. You'll, you will splurge or whatever you call it. What do you call it? Binge? Binge. You will binge all four episodes today. If you go find it today, you will binge it because it's amazing. It's awesome. And Ben, you're an awesome guest, and I appreciate you doing this. Thanks again, man. Nice to talk to you. All right, guys. We'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.